Welcome back to another episode of the Artverse Commerce Podcast. This week is with music supervisor Joe Rudge. He is uh, the first music supervisor we've had on, and so always exciting to uh, have a totally new department to speak to and a totally new conversation about another aspect of uh, filmmaking television and his uh, his credits are quite impressive he has done uh, if you just a quick IMDB search uh, you can get the full list it, there's many but uh, Room, Blue Valentine, Beast of the Southern Wild um, really just one after the next and it's super cool to talk to someone who is in an aspect of, of our world that is totally different and super unique. And I think one of the more interesting aspects was how we discussed that. For him in particular, he's running really both gamuts where there's a totally creative side, needing to just think about music and how it works with the picture. And you get to totally, you know, geek out on the artistic realm, but then he also needs at the same time to put on a producer hat and totally understand the needs in terms of rights and clearance and um, what certain songs are going to cost and, you know, operating within that budget. And so it really goes back and forth between a totally creative thing and then, you know, being a straight up line producer on himself, which is, um, you know, that's an interesting challenge. And I think it's a challenge that he really enjoys. And naturally, he's a total music head. I think he's a, he's a professional music head. The amount of uh, knowledge and the depth of the options that he, he already has just cataloged in his mind. Um, and we speak about how you get to that point. Cause I, I think I was, you know, we spoke about the fact that to get to that level of knowledge can be overwhelming. You know, if I try and think about that, I need a, a music, I, I can think about the type of songs and bands that I know, but I, I have this sense that there's so much out there that I'm not aware of. And it's his job to be aware of, of all of, of, of more than you could ever possibly be aware of and how he how he deals with um, not getting overwhelmed and how he just deals with uh, needing to be the guy that knows so much about music and he seems to be at a, at a great point in his career and he is uh, totally doing his dream job which is super cool and uh, great to talk to him about it just some housekeeping if you can like and comment on iTunes that will help spread the uh, conversation and the show further we're on all social media channels at AVC pod that's our handle and for any inquiries questions or uh, guest ideas you can email uh, this show's producer Courtney Ryan at Courtney at AVC so this week music supervisor Joe Rutch just left a meeting for Humans of New York. Oh, really? The Instagram feed. They're yeah, turning yeah. that into a show for Facebook. I think I can say that now. But yeah, it's okay. Facebook. It's one of Facebook's first uh, content oh my God. derived wow. shows. Or When they say show, what is that? What does show mean in this situation? It's I feel like that word is now thrown around for anything that's not a movie. Absolutely. It's a 15-minute program. Yeah. And uh, 13 episodes. Cool. Yeah. I'm super excited. Are they just like extended, like elongated versions of the profiles of someone? Absolutely. That's what it is? Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah. It's great. And it's great to meet Brandon yeah. and work with him. And I, I've been such an admirer and fan of that feed on Instagram. And so it, it only makes sense to turn it into a, a content, whatever you want to call it. A Definitely. Show. No, I mean, I can imagine it's going to have the same level of people being interested Mm-hmm. For mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. And what you're doing music supervision for mm-hmm. that? Music supervision for it. So we're just trying to find that sound 
we're still sort of tinkering with it. We Brandon has ideas. I won't go into it right now because yeah, things yeah, might change. No, no need but, to. but yeah, it's it's great to work with somebody and help them sort of figure out what the show is going to sound like. Yeah, that's cool because I mean, I, you know, part of it definitely wanted to get your history, but also it's the first music supervisor that we've had on. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really, I mean, it's a unique place because especially when it's not, you know, having like Jay Wiley, like a composer, okay, he makes the music, it's a bit more obvious in terms of what he does. But as a, that, that there's a whole role dedicated to selecting other music. It's, I think, a bit of an enigma in the world that, that most um, common film people in the audience don't realize that that's even a role. And it's like increasingly like a, a very high profile role. Yeah. We just got this Emmy nomination for music supervision and television. I don't know if you've seen that. Oh, like that that's become a new award? Yeah, just oh, this cool. year, which is amazing. And But we're also, we're, we're the AV club. We're sort of yeah. this, this strange, we're in post-production. There's nothing on paper it's glamorous, but really there's not a lot of, there's not much that's glamorous about my job. And not many people interact with us. Like I always, every time I go to a rap party for a film, because I'm usually brought on. Yeah. Nobody knows. Who they're I all am. like, "Who Ooh, are you? Who's, who's this guy?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? It's like, sure, I get the t-shirt or the sweatshirt. It's cool, some free drinks, but I'm not. It, you, it's harder. I'm not part of the camaraderie that say you are as a. Just from like being on set. Yeah, and sort of we. Yeah, it's it's a it's an unusual role, and it's a role that is important. Sounds hugely important to a film. Yeah. Oh my God. It's a, especially a soundtrack. Soundtrack. Gosh, certain, score. certain movies are known, I think, at first because of that. Yeah. I mean, look at Wes Anderson. Yeah. I mean, this is what him and Tarantino did is why I have a job. So it's it's amazing. Yeah. How, and I, I think I ask this a lot of people that aren't, more so because it just makes more sense to me that when someone's a director or a DP or a producer, I can kind of figure out, well, I, I kind of know why you went, how you ended up there. Mm-hmm. But how does someone end up? As a music supervisor. As a music... It's a great question. Okay. Uh, I'll go deep here. Yeah. So I grew up in the music industry. Okay. My dad... That makes sense. Yeah, right? My dad's a manager. Oh, really? Yeah. Of what kind of stuff? Oh, he used to manage the Rolling Stones. Oh, my God. Leonard Skinner. Okay. Yeah. Peter Rudge. So So, cream of the crop managing. Yeah. So I grew up with that... That was in my DNA. I just kind of grew up sure. around. I can't imagine. The stories you must have must be insane. <laughs> when your dad ins- is managing those <sighs> types of bands, especially at that time. That's like the heyday of, you know, I don't know. Uh, that's what vinyl tried to do. Yeah. And yeah, I grew up in the 70s. I'm the 44. HBO show vinyl. Yeah, the yeah, HBO yeah, show yeah. For, for clarity. Um, so yeah, a lot of my first memories as a human being is going to Rolling Stone concerts. Yeah. And I'm sure it wasn't just a seat in the crowd either. No, I mean, I... You were I, backstage. You must have been, right? With your I, dad's manager? I was backstage, yeah. There's this photo of me on, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, on stage with the Rolling Stones. Mick Jagger once brought me out, which is amazing. <laughs> at, at How old were you? Four. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, with like little mini bell bottoms, the whole thing. That's and, incredible. Yeah, yeah. It's great. It's great. And that, I sort of got a taste for the entertainment industry early. So I knew like, wow, this is, this is the coolest industry in the world. At yeah. a very young age. And and I just knew even from age four that like somehow I wanted to get involved in this world. And it was always from the business side? Were you also trying to play music or No, was that- I, I was a terrible musician. I, I didn't have an aptitude. So it was never it. really in the in the no, mix. No, no, I just I, I, I did I played the cello. Okay. I played the bass for a little while, but it never stuck. But I've always thought visually 
Yeah. And it, I've always just seemed to have a skill set towards like I can I think I think I perceive the world through a, like a visual t- template. I don't think analytically necessarily. It's interesting to hear that from a music supervisor. Well, but, yeah. But I guess that is why you might go from instead of being just in the music realm, you're doing it for picture. Right. So that's one part. And it's that's the thing. Like I was also I was the editor in chief of my high school yearbook. Okay. So I've also been really good at just organizing. Okay. So on one hand, yeah, I, I sort of think visually, and I. At this, but the other hand, it's like I am, I've developed an attention to detail, which is required for my job. Because yeah, and this is, a music supervisor is both creative and I'm a producer. Yeah. So in a way, like I, I'm a creative producer, and but there's, I'm a line producer, I'm looking at the budgets, I'm managing the budgets, and I'm also dealing with complex rights management that can be incredibly confusing. Yeah. Um, and it is often to many people. And that's a realm of things that aren't, you know, for anybody else working on the creative end, that's usually not, so, there's someone else managing that for them. Right. The right side of things. Yeah. Like as a DP, I'm not concerned about if we have rights to shoot that sign, I'm going to shoot it and someone else is going to figure that out. Right. Or someone will be in my ear saying, don't shoot that. But I'm not right. the one that also <laughs> right. is trying to figure out if I can shoot that or not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's like, that's my concern when it comes to music. It's like, okay, um, we just, uh, we want to use this Leonard Skinner song for a karaoke scene. It's like, well, you know, that's a really complex, let, let's stay away from that. How about we try to choose somebody else who is, I don't know, who sounds like Leonard Skinner, but it's going to cost half, half the amount. Yeah, yeah. So they're out there, and that's my job. Yeah, well. Or just get it? Leonard Skinner. <laughs> <laughs> Have them compose an original song. Yeah. Um, so, and I also think that a lot of people never think about the business side of art First, unless they are influenced by parents or someone in the family or or a good friend, because it's a lot of people don't realize that that's possible. Right. That like a lot of people think I I can't play music, therefore I can't be in the music industry. Like you know, especially if you're like fourteen or fifteen, how mm-hmm. are you to think otherwise? Mm-hmm. Unless you have that type of influence in the household, that there's a whole world that you can do in music. Even if you know you're well, tone deaf or whatever. Well, you know? that's the thing too. It's like yeah, it's like I. I've always been, how could I put this? Like, what do I like to do more than, I'd, I'd love, if I had a perfect day, it would involve just like listening to music and reading books and watching a movie. Uh-huh. Like in some ways, like I'm a consumer and I, I, I love pop culture. I can, that's the thing. Like I'm a pop culture junkie. Well, I would imagine that a big thing with music, like you need to be an encyclopedia. Right. You know, if someone pitches, either you're reading a script or you're seeing a scene mm-hmm. and they're like, well, what do you think? I mean, if you're bringing up options that they could have thought of on their own why are you in the room yeah well that's the thing yeah it's like i have there's only one thing i have a photographic memory for and that's music and for whatever reason i have this like rolodex this i i just i'm an endless i just know so much about music and i don't know why it's true to a certain degree with film Mm. and television but not like it is with music yeah and i will dive deep and i do every day today i got lost before i came here i just um i tend to listen to music on youtube okay because i like the references sometimes yeah, sure. they bring up on the on the right hand column, uh-huh. and all of a sudden it's like I listened to this one album of like uh, Blue Note. Like they had a whole Blue Note made a compilation of like uh, old soul singers from the sixties, yeah. like one of many comps. And then all of a sudden that led me to forget it. I just it, it opened up. All, all, by the end of the day, I was listening to weird Japanese ambient music from the eighties. I was going to say you you also must need to have such an expansive palette because it's a lot like. Um, people that are in the culinary world, especially on the critic side, even though you're not critiquing, but in that mm-hmm. sense that like you can't give a um, you can't be good at the job if 
you know, you simply, I don't eat raw, I, I don't like raw fish. It's like, right. well, then there's a whole <laughs> world that you're cut off from that like invalidates your ability to do this. It's like, I would imagine you must like such an eclectic, massive amount of different things. Absolutely. I mean, I have my favorites, but absolutely. I mean, yeah. a great example is I'm working on a project for Vice right now, like a Vice Films project, cool. uh, not Vice TV, yep. called Goldie. And uh, the director's like, I, 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 it's all dance hall. Like right now I need dance hall reggae, contemporary dance hall reggae. And somehow, like through just this world, I just know about dance hall reggae. I'm like, oh, I know where to go. And I wasn't necessarily knowledgeable but I was a quick study because I knew the right people to talk to. Right. And then all of a sudden that opened up this whole world where I was like, oh, this is, I don't know much about this, but for two days. But I you just, know where to go. You I know, know how to go. deal with it. Yeah. You and know how to deal with the ask. With the ask. And then I devoured it. Then I just like went in there and it was like, okay, so it's happening in Jamaica and it's happening here in Brooklyn. And then I was like, wow, what's going on here in Brooklyn? And it opened me up to this label like Mix Pack and all, this whole world I didn't know really existed. But, um, and then it completely held my fascination. And it also, I guess, would require you to have discerning taste for genres of music that you're not necessarily a fan of. Yeah. But you still need to be able to tell and speak with conviction about which is better than what and why. Sure. And it, the country's a great example. Yeah. <laughs> so, so <laughs> Country's I, everybody's like black hole unless you're like totally into it. But if you're not. Right. I mean, it, you're not. It's, it's yeah. exactly. But even with classic country, people know Hank Williams. They know Johnny Cash. Right. And because country does come up, all of a sudden I just had like, you, you again, you, you go through the rabbit hole and then doors open up and then you learn about all these great artists. It's, and it, it's the Carter family. It's, it just keeps going opening up and up and up. And it's just, there's so much great country music out there yeah. well beyond like the surface that a lot of people know of. Right. And that's where appreciation can come in if, yeah. even if you didn't like the genre in general. Yeah. And it's endless. And that's the thing about it too. It's like well, that's also what I would imagine is overwhelming because mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, because I think about even on the stuff that I make. Oh, what would be a good song? And like immediately, I feel the limitations of my own library. Right. Not even like an actual library on Spotify or something, but just in my mind, like mm-hmm. of what I can possibly know. And it, it's like the gap between where I am and where someone like you has been dedicating decades to just being knowledgeable. It's, it's um. It's overwhelming. It's completely overwhelming. Like yeah. I'm about to start a new film, Parallel, and uh, I just had my first meeting on Friday, and uh, the, basically the producer and the directors were like, okay, so we know we want two songs, but everything else we're leaving to you because you have great taste in music, and yeah. this is why we hired you. Right. So here's the budget. Let's chat next week, and we're curious to hear what you have in mind. And that's It's amazing. It's amazing, but it's also both terrifying. Sure, yeah. And like what it, like this is the challenge. This is exactly the challenge I want out of any yeah. project. It's just like it's an open book. You determine what you think is good music. Um, we'll give you some guidelines. You're like literally re- you're just being hired for your taste, knowledge and discernment. That's mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Well, and sure attention to detail. Yeah, yeah, there's more, but but like those are those are the things. Yeah. But it's amazing though because it's 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 interesting in the sense that I guess what I meant by that is like there is a craft to what you're doing, but it's mm-hmm. also you can, one can make the argument and they would be wrong, but that like anybody can go and find some music that works because it's not like they're making the music or mm-hmm. they're not, they don't understand optics because they're not being hired to be the cinematographer. It's like you're just to go out and find the music that works, but there's obviously so much more to that, but it's one of those things where I could see, you know, an arrogant layman just be like, oh, I could do that. But Absolutely. there's clearly, no, you can't. No, you can't. Oh, and this happens. I, wh- okay, here's a good example. So I worked, I helped a friend on a short film that went to Sundance this last year. Cool. 
And yeah, great guy. Um, and basically, after the mix, he brought me on because... You consider that too late in the process? Oh, it's much too late. Yeah. And he knew <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. He knew it. Basically, what happened was the director put in two songs uh, that a friend of hers recommended. Mm. And she's like, oh, yeah, these songs are perfect. And my friend who was the producer was like, well, well, wait a minute. We haven't vetted these songs. We have no idea if we can clear them. Like, where are they from? And she was like, I don't care. They're perfect for the scene. And sure enough, they brought me on. Um, and I, one of the songs, the publishing is uh, sort of out of the copyright. And I know who half the publishing is. And the other half is missing an action somewhere. And we can't license the song. Yeah. So now this short film can't get a broader distribution plan no. beyond the film festival circuit because they didn't clear the music properly. Hmm. And so what's, what do you do? Now they have to open up the film and put in new music. I mean, that's insane. And that's a lot that of That changes, yeah, and that also just changes everything. I mean, you can, you can make an argument that it, it turns it from being accepted. In, like the wrong song can make a Sundance accepted film into a not accepted film. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And everything else stays the same, but that's so vital. Or in this instance, worse, it was just a throwaway song uh, played in the background of a dinner party. Oh, it wasn't even that important. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't even that important. Oh, well, then, when, oh, well, I mean, you would think that that would be more freeing than for swapping it. Well, but that's the thing. I mean, you would think this too, but this is, the, this is one of the reasons why I like your podcast so much. It's, this is show business. Hmm. Like, I think we always have to keep that in perspective. It's one thing I'm always mindful of. I, I'm trying to make the best creative decision, but also I'm trying to help the director make the best creative decision. But, you have to be mindful of the fact that you're dealing with, with people's money. You're dealing with a film or a TV show or whatever that has to be sold and you have to work within that budget. And if you just sort of just do what you think is, what is your favorite music regardless, irregardless of cost, I mean, you could sink the whole project and go tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars over budget. Oh yeah, music is such, that line item is such a wild variable. It's It's crazy. insane. It's insane. And it's also, <laughs> it's one of those line items that, producers hate to think about sure if they could make music budgets go away it's such a question mark it's such a question mark and it's just like a lot of post is i don't know if you find this as a dp i mean i find this when i go to a color correction i don't know what's going on hmm. everybody's like oh come to the color correction it'll be cool so i'll come to the, like how much does this cost like you changed it just a shade of orange like i get it but is it really that big of a deal and also the cost that goes into that yeah. i mean i know it is yeah. but it's just post is such a mystery to me well, yeah, I think post is the hard thing because it's uh, it's Pandora's box if you mm -hmm. let it be. Whereas, you know, when the shoot's done, you go home and right. Sure, you can like shoot again, but when it's done, it's done. It's done. Yeah. Post, on the other hand, is it it can draw projects to ruin if you're not if, oh. you, if it doesn't have someone correct steering the ship and with a vision and like knowing when something's finished. Yeah. Um, and I would imagine that the same could be in terms of music choice. But let's go back because I'm just curious. Yeah. How, how do you get to be at that part of... Because it sounds like you were in music in industry first. It, this is... Yeah. I started... Uh, to go back. So I interned at a record label when I was in college. Okay. And I just hated the experience. Because really? it actually... The whole thing was just sort of corporate. Okay. And it was a corporate structure. Yeah. And I didn't think that's the way a record company would operate. I thought if you'd work for a record label, and this is a major label, mm -hmm. um, not an indie label. Right. Um, and so the whole experience sort of soured me on the music industry. I thought at that point, like, oh, yeah, maybe I'll go into the music industry. Um, well, especially with your dad doing what he's done. Yeah. And that, that just seemed like a natural fit. Yeah. And it, this was the early to mid-90s. Uh, but I saw sort of all the bad cliches and what's icky about the industry and what turns a lot of people off from the music industry. And so I was like, okay, what else can I do? And... I just got lucky. I got a, a shot, an interview at MTV. Uh -huh. 
and my dad knew some people there. Right. And so I met somebody named Tony DeSanto. I don't know if you've ever interviewed him or... Uh, Name sounds familiar. He's, he used to be the director of production at MTV. Okay. And he met with me. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, what do you want to do? And I'm like, well, I'm not too sure, but I, I think MTV is a good place to start. And he's like, how about this? Um, I'll hire you as a PA. And why don't you PA in day parts, which is what they called when you did music videos. This is back when they had VJs. Yeah. So <laughs> this is how far back we're going. Uh, and he's like, just see how you like it. Sure. And so that changed everything. From there, I got thrown right into just that hectic world of production. Production. And you liked it? No. No. No, I did not like it because I'm not a storyteller. Right. And I don't want to be an editor and I don't want to shoot. So, okay. But what I liked about it was I liked the spirit. Uh, I was going to say, you might not have liked the day-to-day, but you did like the vibe. I love the vibe. There you go. And I love the people I worked with. Yeah. And I loved actually the content. I love the fact that like, all right, what are we doing today? I don't know, but we're going to make something. Yeah. And, they, and you figure it out that day. Like I remember we shot something with Chris Rock because he was shooting. Uh, this is some sort of special for the Video Music Awards. And we didn't know what we were doing. We sort of just went out there with Chris Rock and shot these skits. And it was amazing. That's and Chris awesome. sort of came up with it on the spot and with the producer. And I was like, that, that this is so much fun. Yeah. But it's not what I want to do. Yeah. So, and I think what was also great about MTV was there were a lot of producers there who sort of recognized that I was a little bit lost. Hmm. And I didn't know what I was doing, but I was looking for answers. And instead of just being like, I don't know, let's hire another PA, uh, a couple of producers engaged me and were like, well, what do you want to do, Joe? And this is what we think you're good at. And one of those things was I was really good at creating music beds. This is back when MTV... It's amazing that they were... Do, do, why do you think... Was that a testament to something about you or them or both? I think both. I think both. I mean, uh, there was one producer, Jen Demi, who sort of gave me my break as a music supervisor. Yeah. Um, and she... We just got along and I worked hard and that's all. I had the right attitude and I worked hard. Yeah. And sometimes so that's much, it. Yeah. That's, <laughs> majority of the time that's it. Right. And it's like I never, and again, I just graduated college. And so the world was this big confusing place, but I just, I knew I was going to figure it out. Right. And, but you're right. I mean, I need, I needed some people to be like, hey, I'm going to look out. But everybody does. They do. I know. Yeah. They really do. And, and more often than not, like if you're just a good person, yeah, people will be like, all right, let's figure this out. Yeah. And so, yeah, a couple of people suggested, Jen Demi a couple, and a couple other producers, like you're really good with music. I think you'd be good at this music supervision thing. And this is so this is back in the late 90s, right? And so, at that point, did you, were you even like, what is that? Yeah, like, that's exactly. Like, yeah. I was like, what do I do? Yeah. What? And they're like, well, you choose music for, you, basically, you create the soundtracks. And I was like, done. That sounds like a great job. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm in. I'm like, okay. At but, that point, were you already just a music nut in terms of having like a pretty substantial catalog just yeah. based on things you already like? Already in college, collecting a lot of music. Yeah. Um, Not sp- even like the physical catalog, but just the knowledge in your mind. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I at that point, I remember, this is, again, this is the, the, the internet was in its ascendance, but it wasn't, you didn't have the resources like you do now. No, sure not. I mean, I remember I had this, a book from Rolling Stone magazine and a book from Spin magazine with just album reviews. Hmm. And I would just read these album reviews. And try to figure out like what the great albums were and who and that I, that I so you were completely engrossed in it completely engrossed yeah. I mean I, <laughs> I joined Columbia Music House just to, like I got totally scammed but I just I wanted to get my hands on as much music as possible yeah that's great and uh, went to other music every day went to Kim's video every day and uh, yeah I was just devouring and consuming music well I'm not you know I, this is what I assume mm-hmm. this is like this is what I assume is necessary for people operating at your level of music supervising is like how yeah. else like why like th- those are the types of people that you would want to <laughs> hire yeah 
Yeah, yeah it know. just it, that's and that's why this whole music supervision thing clicked. Yeah, um, and then this is again this is the period of the rise of indie film in New York, mm-hmm. but it didn't quite capture my imagination the same way music still did. And I was going to all those indie films too, and so. Well, but were you not already at that point connecting the dots that you could be the music supervisor for that whole rise, for that industry that's rising? It, it seemed otherworldly. It seemed a little disconnected, to what, disconnected you were doing? to what I was doing. Because you were in the TV realm? Yeah. yeah. I, at that point, I was still a little intimidated. I thought, I sort of thought, well, I'm in TV. This is my role. I'm going to work in TV. Mm-hmm. Like maybe one day I'll work in film, but for now, the next five years. Hey, yeah, and it's important to note that this is well before the lines were as blurred as they are now. Exactly. They were very rigid. But, totally different crews. Like people, there was no fluidity. There was n- no crossover. Yeah. All the people I knew who were producing television were just producing television. Yeah. So I figured this is my ecosystem. This is my world. Take advantage of it. Yeah. If you're lucky enough to do a film, great. But for now, like this is your world and, and try to figure it out from, from the, your contacts and who you know. So, and that's what I did. How'd and, that go in the beginning? Well, that's what was so great. Um, Jen, who I brought up before, right. one day I bumped into her on the street, not even at work. And she's like, Joe. And I, oh, I think at that time I had switched over to VH1. It's because you switch all the time between the two networks. Yeah. And she was like, I know this guy, Mitch. He's working on a show at Disney Channel. He needs a music supervisor. And, and you immediately came to mind, and I was just about to email you, but here we are. So she gave me his info, and she's like, contact him. He's waiting to hear from you. And, sh- and so I emailed him that day, interviewed with him later that week, and I was a music supervisor before you know it. That, it, that was my that, that literally was the first went from, one? Yeah, I went from production assistant to music supervisor, like just like that. And I mean, I, I would imagine, especially when it was more specialized and the barriers to entry were still up and definitely fortified in a way that they're not now, mm-hmm. that especially on something that's a bit more um, not as like an obvious role like music supervising that if you were one of the few that actually did that it was just you know easier to maintain that that job and like getting hired from from one to the next because there just aren't that many of you well this is where it gets good yeah right so I did this show for the Disney Channel with this producer Mitch Kozhowski was great the whole experience was fantastic and it was also uh, confidence building uh, because I was challenged. I, I didn't know if I had the creative chops to do it, yeah. but I did. And uh, I. Do you remember when, like, the first moment of validation? Yeah. What was it? The supervising editor pulled me aside before I started. And he's like, "Look, have you ever seen City Slickers?" I'm like, "Yeah, I remember City Slickers." He's like, "Remember that Ben and Jerry scene? The two guys who do Ben and Jerry's, and the one guy's like, I'm thinking of this flavor." And then the other guy comes on. He's like, why don't we compliment it with this? Do you remember that scene? Yeah. He's like, I need you to be like that. Like, I'm going to say something and you need to get me exactly what I'm thinking to compliment it. <laughs> that's awesome. And he's like, but if you don't, this is not going to work out. And that's an intimidating thing to say to somebody who's... Totally. In yeah, middle. welcome to the job. <laughs> yeah, welcome to the job. But sure enough, he's like, you did it. I remember when I first started to get going and I started to submit my music ideas, he was like, you nailed it. And I was like, Awesome. I can do this. I can music supervise. So that moment totally it did two things. One, obviously a huge confidence builder. Totally. And then it also was like, okay, beyond just confidence builder, this is something I'm really good at. This is something I can do with my career. So let's go. Let's like, let's just throw yourself into it and figure this out. Yeah. Um, and why I mentioned this is where it gets good is, so you would think that this would open me up to a whole world of music supervision opportunities, but it didn't. There just weren't that many music supervision gigs. It was still sort of a new field. It wasn't as sort of sexy as it is right now. There wasn't a lot of the, the music shows were still being. Was it like a department that was born late in the filmmaking? Yes. History? It is. If you really look at it, even if you look at it, yeah, it's historical context. Yeah. I mean, 
it didn't really come to existence until the mid '90s. Wow! If you really think about it, because Tarantino, I, I mean, I always think there are a couple of films that stand out to me with, that had great music that yeah. made a huge impact on me. One is Pump Up the Volume. Okay. Do you remember that Christian Slater movie? Uh, admittedly, no. You gotta go see it. Okay. All right, it, it came out in 1991. Uh-huh. It's amazing. Okay. And, and it has it has a great, as you would say in the '90s, alt rock soundtrack, yeah, but before yeah. Nirvana broke. Cool. So it had like Soundgarden in the soundtrack. It right had on. Leonard Cohen. It was an amazing soundtrack. It had a huge impression on me. And then Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. I mean, that, that soundtrack was so fresh. And yeah. so never saw anything like it before. And it just it, it just opened up this world of like what you can do with music. Mm. And yes, of course, Scorsese. I mean, you, you look at Goodfellas. I mean, I can't. The, music why, is as important. Why is a, a movie with good music, why did that then, did, was there like that validated the need for a specific supervisor? Because... The notion that mu- that a movie needed good music existed prior to that, but what? Why did it make the leap into and someone needs to be specifically hired to do that? Because was it falling on the director's shoulders because they were the one with the vision and they like just knew what they wanted to pair it with? Yeah, I think it did fall yeah. on the director's shoulders, but I think it also it's I've never actually it's a great question because maybe it has something to do with MTV not showing music videos anymore hmm. and. People also having music and MTV, I think, made a huge difference in the whole pop culture landscape because for better or for worse, it married music with the image. Yeah. And it, it, you could talk to plenty of punk rockers who think it was the worst thing that ever happened. But it also just, look, look what it did for Nirvana. Yeah. Look what it did. It, it made it, it, or even rap. The Wu-Tang Clan, any of these people, it's all because of MTV. And you can't separate the two, the music video from the song. So I think that sort of planted the seeds and then I think it just took a couple of films Scorsese is definitely one of them with Goodfellas I think mm-hmm. and Reservoir Dogs and I'm trying to think of other ideas the other no, films are great are, examples, they're great examples. Yeah. and it just I think that filmmakers more and more are like yeah let's let's and then Wes Anderson I mean Bottle Rocket mm-hmm. like I still think about how they use love and a couple of the songs in there and uh uh, Rushmore. I mean, these made music was such a part. It's still a huge part of who Wes Anderson is as a filmmaker. Yeah, and I think he was such an influential filmmaker that it can't help but have a ripple effect. Yeah, interesting to the point that it, just by s- making the importance of it in a pop sense, pop cultural sense, so obvious that then demonstrated the need that the responsibility is so great. We need to hire someone <clears throat> to handle to it. handle it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that's and that's what I think. And so that was the rise of the music supervisor. Yeah. And I think also, maybe to be a little bit cynical, I think marketing departments also understood the, the power of music, that they could really sure. it push is a, a music. It is a vehicle. Yeah. They could push a music soundtrack and they could, this is a way to help sell a film. So they're like, hey, if we put really cool music into a film or this is going to help get people interested in this product mm-hmm. so and buy soundtracks. And back when people were still buying, you know, professionally made mixes, yeah. the way that you would buy a soundtrack was a mix of your favorite songs on one album or whatever. That Absolutely. Was, that, there was a novelty in that for Complete a window novelty. in time. Yes, exactly. So I think this is what gave to the rise of music supervision. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but I think it's kind of, to go back to what you said before, like about MTV and I left and they did this Disney Channel show. Um, after this Digi Channel show, Z Games, ended, there were no more music supervision gigs, right? So I went back to sort of PA and AP work doing documentaries, mm. which was fantastic and fun, but not, my heart wasn't in it. Yeah. Uh, but I was doing a bunch of History Channel shows, and uh, I've always been pretty athletic. And uh, at the same time, I was also, believe it or not, playing squash. I was, okay. So I was playing, <laughs> but I was playing like competitive squash. All right. In New York. And uh, one of the guys I played squash with, who was on my team, 
was like, all these guys, most of them were Wall Street dudes. Okay. Yeah. And they loved what I was doing because I was the non Wall Street guy. So they yeah. loved to go out with me and have beers and talk to me about my career because it was like they're so bored about talking about Wall Street. Yeah. And one of these guys was like, music supervision. He's like, you know what, man? He's like, you got to meet my fiance's sister's husband. He's a film producer in LA. And this guy's like, he's doing small projects, but I'm going to hook you two up. So sure enough, like my friend introduced me to him and uh, he lived in LA, but he was in New York for a weekend and his name was Ron Bergman. And <laughs> I, I don't know if you know who he is. Why the name is so familiar? It's Ryan Johnson's producer. Okay. Yeah. So Rom yeah. was like, Hey Joe, if you come out to LA, I'll give you some projects and you, you can make this transition. You can become a film music supervisor. And I was like, sweet. This sounds great. And I've always thought about moving to LA, so I moved to LA, and one of those projects he gave me was Brick. Okay, wow. So that's, that sort of, that was the bridge, how I got into film. And everybody, it's kind of nuts, but it's almost, everybody has a story like that, in one way or another, because um, that's, I guess, what it requires to a degree. You need some dumb at some, luck. At some point, something like that is going to happen, if it's going to happen. It's going to happen, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I just wanted, I had to get that off my chest, because it's like, it, it is important to know. Like, people always ask me, like, how did you get to do feature films it's a little bit of dumb luck but it's a little bit of I think also it is for a lot of people yeah yeah or uh, just you know continual working and working and working and then it feels like dumb luck because the reason that it happened seems so random even though it's kind of like well if you keep striking the iron it's gonna well that's gonna, a good point I, I never sort of was discouraged and never was like well yeah the, i got my one shot to do a television show for disney and then the, the work dried up so i guess i'll continue producing i never had that sort of attitude i always thought like well i'm in my 20s like it's also not like you're you're not gonna lose you know certain certain crafts like you need to keep working on and staying up with the technology especially like in the cinematography realm like if you fall back mm -hmm. on what's happening and digital advancements of like two years not in the game could be really problematic but yeah we're talking about just love of music and mm -hmm. continuing to listen to music and that was you're not going to stop doing that <laughs> that's true know. yeah it, exactly you're i'm still gonna love music yeah and you're absolutely right and yeah when that happened um and you did brick to success where were you thinking things were going to go and where did they go? How right oh, or wrong were you? Well, th that's the game changer right there. That was the other huge moment for me. And actually, it goes back to uh, Ethan, who we talked about, Ethan Goldman, who we had on here. Yeah. Um, I remember. Guest. What's that? Former guest. Yeah. Former guest, yeah. yeah. And uh, I remember Ethan once, I came back to New York and uh, we're at the Tribeca Film Festival and he showed me this article where on Entertainment Weekly, they used to have a top 10 list of like what's just hot in the world right now. And Brick was number two. And I remember when he showed me that, he's like, Joe, this film is like, it's getting a lot of attention. I remember thinking like, wow, this is like, this is beyond like an indie film that did well at Sundance. This right. is a juggernaut. And I think from that project, and then, I mean, this is a more complicated story than it needs to be. So I'll just try to give you the cliff notes. Sure, Basically sure. from that project and knowing a couple of people in LA, I got in touch with somebody named Randy Poster. Mm -hmm. And Randy is a huge music supervisor. He does all of Wes Anderson's films okay. and Scorsese's films. And he's, he's prolific. I mean, yeah. just look him up. He's amazing. And uh, basically, uh, some contacts put me in touch with Randy. And Randy and I met. And uh, he was like, we just hit it off. Somehow we connected. Um, and I started to work with Randy Poster. So that was huge too. So it was not only just getting brick. And I needed somebody else to help me sort of get a little bit more established. Sure. And also to mentor me. I was going to say, I'm curious, what, what do you think you learned from him specifically? Well, Randy was, first of all, I just learned, I just learned how to do the job properly. Meaning what? So I, I sort of was uh, sort of self-learned. I was, I, everything I did, I sort of did through like just, just my own research and mm -hmm. 
I, had, I remember I had a couple books on music supervision. Yeah. And that was my one guide. And uh, <laughs> It's amazing. Right? So I kind of yeah. learned more. <laughs> yeah. Just a couple things I bought off of Amazon or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but Randy, working in his company, he I worked with somebody, his partner, this woman, Stephanie Diaz-Matos. And Stephanie and I just tackled a couple TV shows. And I really just learned from just watching her do her job and she's great she just did um the get down and cool. she's a huge music supervisor she's yeah. uh yeah really really amazing person and just from that just from getting in the trenches and just doing everyday music supervision and hard hard work um what both, made it hard because i'm trying oh, to under like trying to just to better understand i don't know what the day in day out of that is well that's that's a great question i mean well first of all i'm juggling different projects so when randy brought me in i was uh i was doing two tv shows mm-hmm and uh, we were both working on a documentary called Beautiful Losers. Yeah. And yeah. And so right there, that's three projects. Mm-hmm. And when you're doing a television show, we were doing this, Stephanie and I were doing this project called Six Degrees for ABC. Every episode's like an indie film. Yeah. Or, and you just, every week it starts all over again. And uh, yeah, I mean, you, you can't help, but you're on, you're on the clock. It's like, okay, it's Monday. We have to have a show done by Friday. And we have to figure out all the music needs and clear the music and keep it in budget. It's crazy. It's crazy. And so that's enough to keep you occupied all week. But, oh, wait, I, I also got this other TV show for MTV <laughs> called I'm From Rolling Stone. Now, luckily for that, I was just creative. But I was also working with the clearances. Meaning you're not doing the clearances Not doing the yourself. clearances. But I'm keeping an eye towards yeah. clearances because yeah. i got to make sure I'm, I, that we're keeping in budget. It's kind of impossible to be in a vacuum on that. Impossible. Yeah. 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 You just have to, you can't just. Otherwise yeah. you're screwing over everybody you're working with because if you're only choosing things independent of any realm of reality or realistic opportunity to use, then I yeah. mean, that's going to be really impossible. I- impossible. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. So you have to be mindful of the costs, but luckily I wasn't doing the paperwork there. And then on Beautiful Losers, I was creative and paperwork. So it's just, it's a, a lot of balls in the air Yeah. and you have to keep your eye on everything. Mm. When... Because at this point now, I mean, just to go, for anybody listening, just to go through your IMDb, it's, you know, impressive and cool. And it looks like a lot of fun. Um, when you're working on projects like, especially, especially something that, that was surprised people with, like Beasts of the Southern Wild. Yeah. Did you know at the time that you were dealing with something quite special or... No how, idea. Because how can you, right? Absolutely no idea. A lot of, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I did that, um, a producer called Paul Mazze, um, who I'd known, it was just like, hey, I want you to meet with these filmmakers. I was, I was at Sundance, mm-hmm. and uh, it was 2010, and I was there, Blue Valentine had premiered, so I was there for the Blue Valentine premiere. And Because uh, you had done... You had that done. music supervised Blue Valentine. Yeah. And uh, Paul was like, you should meet with these filmmakers. They're a bunch of kids who just went to what, graduated from Wesleyan, they're down in New Orleans, and they've got this quirky unusual film idea and why don't you just meet with them because i think you guys would be a good it was match prior to them shooting yeah oh wow yeah because they're so actually truly because I, I mean gosh that's so hard at least if you were looking at footage you can mm-hmm. discern if there was competency but i would imagine that you know i don't know there's just so many scripts that don't turn out that that's yeah. such a that's so hard to choose and that's exactly and that's it that's that's the thing about what's so exciting about what i do so okay they told me this idea that the bathtub and there's this community and it's down and i was like okay i'm with you like any stars like no stars the lead's gonna be a complete unknown um yeah we start shooting in two months what do you think and i was like all right sure i mean this sounds like for me i thought like okay yeah it's an adventurous idea it's something unusual but also i was just thinking 
I, who knows? Like, who am I to say I'm still sort of starting my career, even right. though I had Blue Valentine and a couple of successes under my belt. But I was like, these guys were cool. Yeah. Like, they listen to the same music I listen to. And- but I would imagine that you must, maybe not then, but at that stage of a, of a film's development and you're getting called on or emailed about things like that how are you dis- how are you figuring out the you know the signal from the noise well that's in terms of a good project well or that, one worth your time well that's the thing there's there's some serendipity involved in all this has to be yeah yeah and that's the thing too with like with brick now did i know brick was going to be this complete game changer and also like a truly unique independent film like mm. i remember reading the script and not making head or tail of it but thinking like i just want to do music supervision and then when i saw it at sundance i was like oh i didn't get this <laughs> when I when I read the script, like now I get it, and it's amazing. Um, but part of me was just like, I just want to meet as many people as possible and work on anything. Well, but, you know, different projects are done for different reasons. Personally, yeah. Well, but your question is, I get this asked a lot. Like, how did I know to choose the right projects? I think I was just lucky. I think part of it was just being in New York City. Hmm. So I was back in New York, and they're just—I I will say this—they're people do interesting projects out of New York. And people make more it, so comparatively. I think well in LA they make great Hollywood projects, and more and more I think they're making some really unique, uh, inventive programming. But I don't think that was the case ten years ago. Right, right. <laughs> and and I always thought like, but there's just a tradition of making. I mean, look at even look at the indie films coming out of New York right now. There's still just like people are making great projects mm-hmm, mm-hmm. from New York. Yeah, and um, more importantly, just seem to have like this this refined taste. This it might not hit. Uh, it might not. Tap into like a, a national, like a, a zeitgeist sort of thing nationwide, but it's pushing ahead culture. It's yeah. pushing, it's pushing ahead. It's pushing the boundaries that much further, um, and making it like people are making. I find this all the time. Like I just saw it comes at night, mm-hmm. and I thought like, what a great film. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you know they shot that somewhere upstate. Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I just I like the sort of what's coming out of New York. And I think I knew that. Like, if I can work with these New York filmmakers, I think there's a chance that I'm going to work on like projects that are going to be remembered, as opposed to going back in LA and I don't know trying to play the Hollywood game. Yeah, and I guess there's also something where I don't know how intensive it gets for you, but you know, you can have eight projects in a year, mm-hmm. where other you know, like a director might have one every two, two or three years, and a DP might have three a year. You right. can have pretty large amount comparatively to other department heads yeah um and that's got to be in your favor too just in terms of like you know you can maybe be a bit more risky on a few out of those if you're if you're trying to like assess here's like i'm potentially going to do anywhere from six to ten in a year yeah a couple can be kind of like blue chip in terms of like who's involved maybe who the Mm -hmm. director is whatever and i could take risks maybe on two or three other or i don't know do you assess anything like that or not really absolutely yeah i mean part of it is like well and again, it goes into this whole thing of like, who am I meeting from this project? It mm. could be a post-supervisor. It could be a director, a producer. I might look at the project and think like, um, I don't know. Yeah, I'm doing this project for the money. But, oh, look, like I've always wanted to work with that post-supervisor. They're doing all these great projects. I want in. And this is this film, although it might be mediocre, this, this could be that vehicle to impress right. that post-supervisor and tap into some other projects that I think interest me. And will help my career. Yeah. So you do. You have to put that filter. That's not just. I never look at a film and think like, oh, uh, I, I'm I'm too good for this film <laughs> because you never know who's involved. Yeah. And but yeah, there's certainly times when somebody will be like, oh, can you do my film? And uh, yeah, we, I scraped it together with help from the family, and there are no stars. But I'm just like, this this is just going to be a time suck. <laughs> no thanks. Like I turned down a film today for that reason. It was just like, uh, the filmmaker was great, and um, I know him, but 
this film's going nowhere and it's just going to... Well, I was going to imagine that the metrics for why things matter to you must have shifted over time where like now, you know, you don't need to do a film to do a a film. Like you, you, it needs to, at at this point you are trying to, I would imagine sounds being discerning about, you know, if things are going to have legs or not. And, and I would, maybe you can do less in a year as long as they're good. Yeah, absolutely. I mean that, that it's exactly true. Um, but I think it's always a challenge because I'm just, thankfully I'm, all these projects seem to somehow appeal to me. Like I just told you about that parallel film. Right. Um, now I'm doing that because it's a science fiction film. I've never done a sci-fi film. Yeah. And I was like, wow, this is a challenge. I mean, this is, but it's also like, I, why not? Like, this is a genre that I, I enjoy. And for whatever reason, I've never music supervised a sci-fi film. Like, let's do it. Yeah. And uh, so there are a lot of different factors that go into like exactly why I make these decisions. But you're right. I mean, um, I can be a lot more discriminating but it's strange. There's always something. Every time somebody brings me a project, there's always something that appeals to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, I mean, I would hope. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> and it, that's good. And it's sometimes I'm like, you know, I am a little bit busy now, but I'm just going to take this project. I think I can, I can balance it. And yeah. <laughs> so, um, and this, I wanted to ask you about Room. Yeah. Which you did, um, which I found, like, I, I love that. I think that movie's amazing. It is. Um, and so unique. And that I think the music had to play such a huge role since you know the vision like the the way that they dealt with the issue of being inside that room can get boring and how right. they made it not boring and the music playing a part in that um did you understand the special nature of it when you signed on and like, oh, did, yeah. you, did you know what was going on there in terms of that it was going to have such oscars appeal as well and that I it did. was really going to be that type of film absolutely i i knew a24 at that point i forgot they were still sort of a new company but i remember a24 yeah. I, they were very much on my radar and i knew they were distributing uh some great films and i thought like god a24 seemed to ha- they're tapped into something mm-hmm. and when i was connected with a24 through this producer friend and they're like, yeah, this is our first sort of original production. I was like, okay, if if A twenty four is putting their own money into this film yeah. for the first time, it's going to be something special. Yeah, and uh, and then I, and then also all sorts of things were contributing to that. Uh, Brie Larson, that she had just done Short Term Twelve. Yeah, but she was on the rise. And the director Lenny, oh my God, I'm embarrassed to say I forgot the name of the film he did. That really crazy film with Michael Fassbender where he plays the uh, music yeah. Frank. Yeah. And I enjoyed Frank. I saw it at Sundance and I was like, that's what a great film. And so all of a sudden it's like, yes, all these ingredients come together and I'm like, this could be something special. Mm. And they originally brought me in actually, not as a music supervisor, but just to help consult with temp score. Interesting. Yeah. Um, because there's the difference on that. Well, that was completely unique. I mean, that was just, they, and this is something that more and more I, I do as a music supervisor is like help provide temp music for the composer. Oh, right. Cause so, of, cause of, for the, okay. Right. So I get the, it. Yeah. the idea is that I, and a lot of music editors do this, but sometimes mm-hmm. I'm hired to do it. And uh, yeah, so for uh, for Room, they were like, hey, um, we, we just want about demonstrating your value when you're being hired <laughs> just for the temp track. Yeah, just for the temp track. I mean, track. it makes total sense, but still. Yeah, and it was, and I loved it. And I loved it too because Lenny, the director, and um, the editor were huge music nerds. So they understood my references and I could go deep. I can go as nerdy as I wanted without alienating them. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was the best. Yeah. And it's, it's always great when you get to work with a filmmaker who just is as knowledgeable as you about music. Well, I was going to ask, um, just in terms of things a bit more technical, like what, mm-hmm. do you, what does a good collaboration look like? What are the right questions that, that you want to hear from people? Or how, does, how do people put you in the best position to do your job well? Um, the best thing to do is, well, it really comes down to like, 
can you connect with the director or whoever is the shot caller? Who's the person who's ultimately going to be the taking in your ideas? Yeah. And um, sometimes it's the editor. Most often it's the director, but you always have to read. Sometimes it's the producer. Mm -hmm. You just have to sort of read the tea leaves and figure it out. But really it's like, do they trust you? Do they, I think sometimes when a person is, when you're a director and you're making a film, there's all this responsibility to make something great. And that's a lot of pressure. And so sometimes you can can turn into a benevolent dictatorship. You could be like, hey, it's my film. I'm gonna do what I want. And other times you could be like, "Ah, this is an overwhelming process. I need help. Yeah. And Joe, I'm hiring you. To help me but it just comes down to that that and whatever that chemistry is i mean part of i always say like uh i always consider myself a little bit like a hostage negotiator because <laughs> uh, i'm just trying to i'm just trying to help these people off the ledge sometimes yeah. <laughs> and, or like you know or or just you know get them to see the light and just understand that i'm here to help them and they got to trust me and because well, like it, how's the process in a in a practical sense work for you in terms of like are you presented with I don't know, scenes and you say like, try these, what do you think about these yeah. three songs? Yeah, that's exactly. That's, like, like, really... like right now, I'm, uh, I'm doing a project for A24 mm-hmm. called Coolest Girl in the World and uh, they just need some help in a karaoke scene. That's it. I think that's going to be my only job for the film. Okay. And, uh, and so it's very specific, but they're like, we want a top 40 song, but we have these, we don't have much of a budget and like help. Now that's very specific and niche, but it's like, but no, it's good though. Yeah, but it's like that's that. I, but, the combo. Yeah, there's yeah. like, but here's our budget, so you can't go above that number. So it's like, all right. So sometimes that I love that because that's like okay. Because when it's a top forty ask with the budget on it, is then like your the real expertise that you're bringing. It's not like you know a back catalog of music options. It's just your ability to yeah. make things work for a budget. Right. I'm not trying to like geek out and bring them like a Lee Hazelwood song or something and be like, yeah, this is yeah, some right. year old girl's going to do That's not what the, they're asking. Right. Yeah. So part of my job is, yeah, then talking to the publishers and getting them excited about the project. I mean, like, hey, we don't have much money, but check this out. It's an A24 film and it's, there are all these great reasons you should be involved and this is how much it's, we really, have. Depending on the ask from your, whatever client you're working with, I mean, you're really swinging quite largely between either something wholly creative or just, that, what we're talking about here is just being straight, like producer trying to grease wheels and trying to get something for under cost. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, it's a totally like, you know, you're running the gamut in terms of going from totally creative to totally business. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And uh, well, this 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 film is a great example because it's also like, okay, then I'm getting all these ideas, and I'm like, ooh, this song could be good. Like I already have a list back in my office of ten songs. I'm going to send the producer. Right. And be like, I know we can get these ten songs. And out of, I don't know, 50 that would pitch to me. So part of my job is then to sort of creatively... Who pitched ma- them to you? Oh, the publishers. I went out to these publishers and asked for these. Oh, okay, I got it. You got it. So, sorry, just to... No, no, yeah. no, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that's like, that's a, that's a great example of just what my job is. And you're absolutely right. It's creative, but it's a lot of producing. Yeah. And it's a lot of like, here are my limitation. Limitation being my budget. Help me. I would imagine, though, that that kind of helps because, I mean, limitation always helps. It, it always helps. It Otherwise, always helps. Otherwise, you know, people are going to be asking, I don't know, for it, some ridiculous megastar song every time that, like, might not even be the most interesting. Right. I mean, like, I think about, I know some music supervisors in England, and the BBC has a blanket license for music, mm. so you can use any music you want. <laughs> Wild. Wild. But also, like, that's a little boring, right? Like, it, to me... Well, half the challenge is gone, which almost doesn't allow for a path anymore. Exactly. And it doesn't allow for that challenge. I mean, if I was just 
if I had that with any film I worked on, I mean, I I don't know. I, I don't find that like putting in the Clash or or Bob Dylan uh, just because I can is necessarily satisfying. Right. You know, and it doesn't necessarily show your craft. Exactly. At its highest point. It's like, sure, if you're going to put in the Beatles, okay, like I get it. I get it, right? Yeah, but that's not necessarily saying much. Right. It's like you can't afford the Clash, but okay, then who can I afford who's from, who's inspired by and I can get for less and like that's where the real challenge is. Well, because I would imagine too that in your neck of the woods and like the the niche of people that are doing what you do and in, in mm-hmm. your creative community that it's always like who has the band that no one's heard of, who has the songs <laughs> right. that no one knows. It's like in your back pocket that like you drop on the perfect, perfect project and you're like... That like yeah, no one knew about that one, but I did. I would imagine yeah. that there's a, there's got to be a fair amount of that healthy competitiveness of oh, like yeah. constantly trying to find the next thing before anybody else does. Oh, completely. Like uh, I know supervisors who won't license a song if it has a licensing history. Out of they'll ask the they'll ask the the publishers and the record labels, has the song been licensed in the last five years? And if they say yes, they're like, I'm not interested because <laughs> they want to be the first person there mm. to be like, guess what, like. Uh, this is my special baby right here. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm birthing it to the world. Yeah. And I would imagine that there's also, like I remember just talking about perfect song choice mm-hmm. for a song that came from um, a relatively known artist was when um, the Pineapple Express used... <laughs> I never M- saw that. They used mm-hmm. MIA's Paper Planes oh, wow. yeah. in, their, in the um, trailer. Uh-huh. And the song had been out for eight months prior. It wasn't mm-hmm. made for for it. It was just used for it. And for whatever reason, that trailer then exploded that song. It was not doing. It wasn't a wellness. And then it, it immediately shot it through to the zeitgeist, basically. Yeah. Um, and I gotta imagine that's like, you know, that's the holy grail for any choice that you're making, where you can because you chose it for a project. It's now like in a limelight that it never had. Yeah. That's got to be like the, uh, the rush. That's the rush of it all. Um, I always think of like Ingrid Michaelson mm. and how one Grey's Anatomy placement created this entire career for her. It's crazy. I, I think it's amazing. Yeah, and it's I, amazing. I think and she's now this, and it's also that the community that supports her because I know her manager and because of that one success, it's allowed her to build a company that's allowed, that employs all these, I think they have 20 employees right now. Nuts. I mean that's insane, yeah. but it really started with one music placement. Well, you must. I mean, you're you're at the you're a linchpin on for both mediums. Mm-hmm. So I would imagine that people understand the power that you wield, especially if you're tied on to some big project, and that like you know music agents are like hitting you up trying to get their person they represent yeah. in the in the film, and like and like it's also working the other way around that people know that oh well, but you have the musicians that no one's heard of that I need for my film and you're like stuck in the middle there. Yeah. Kind of, you know, the ringmaster of that. Well, yeah, and it's great. I mean, so I'm doing a film right now called Hearts Be Loud. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the, and the basic premise is Nick Offerman plays a guy who owns a record store okay. in Red Hook, Brooklyn. Okay. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Um, but the director and I sort of, we're going deep. We're, we're nerding out. Yeah. But we figured out a placement for one of, one of my favorite artists, this guy, Songs Ohio, uh, Jason Molina, and I've been trying for 10 years to get this guy in a film. And all of a sudden, the perfect film shows up, and the director's like, I'm into this idea. And it's like, this is great. <laughs> this is why I do this job. Yeah. And I'm hoping from that, from this placement, that, I don't know, Gets 20 people, yeah, I, yeah. That there's some people like, who's that artist? That song's great. I want to learn more about him. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I mean, especially for being, you know, just super interested in music, it's, 
this is the dream, yeah. This is the dream. I mean, yeah. it's got to be. It, it is the dream right now. And it's also the dream, um, <laughs> unrelated to just working in something I love, that yeah. I get to work for myself. Well, yeah. I mean, this is, and, th- and this is a large attraction to like why people get into the entertainment industry, I think. At mm-hmm. least for me, another part of like why I love music supervision is I'm here today with you at four o'clock yeah. <laughs> doing this podcast and not at some boring uh, marketing meeting. Right. Uh, which that's, that, that stuff is in the music industry. Right. Yeah. Which is what turned you off the, the corporate nature yeah, way back and, when. And that's the thing. Exactly. You're paying attention. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but it's true. I mean, and that's part of, um, I've cr- sort of for years sort of crafted this career and hasn't always been successful, but mm. I've kept with it. And it's nice to know that I'm like, at least can control my time. Now, might mean that like yesterday, yesterday was a beautiful day. Um, it was Sunday. So no, I was at the office working. Yeah. I had a lot of work to do today. And part of that was like, okay, I knew we we're going to do this podcast. And part of it's just like, nobody's calling me on a Sunday. So <laughs> it's a great day to get work done. Yeah, my mom's calling me, sure. But yeah. like, no, <laughs> nobody else is calling me. You know? And it's like, that's a great way to, to just sort of catch up and, and work in a bubble. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's, but I, I do, I, I love the control of my career too. And I think it's important to stress that also, because I think um, there's a lot of things that are sexy about our careers. But I think one thing that's, that I think sometimes is overlooked is like, wow, if you get good at what you do, you have total control over it. Right. To a degree. I mean, you have to get hired, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, that's half the, um, the fun. Right. And also ton of stress, but it's, it's stress, <laughs> it's stress that you invited. Exactly. Yeah. You, you welcome the you stress. You for that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, the, it's the kind you prefer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, man. Um, cool to have our first music supervisor on the show and yeah. to be able to talk about your corner of the industry. It's one I, I didn't know the details about, so it's been great to pick your brain up. That's been fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.